0: So I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, some of the values of the Dharma, value, if you will, what we value in the Dharma uh, as uh, beings who follow the Buddhist teachings. Oftentimes we think about uh, the values that we seek to hold uh, as followers of the Dharma, as uh, followers of the Buddhist path, we think about those values in contrast to the values of the world. Uh, sometimes we say, uh, or of the, the, the predominant culture, or the culture that we live in. Sometimes we say that this is a countercultural path. Uh, so when we look at the world, uh, we we tend to see what the Buddha saw uh, over 2,500 years ago, uh, that uh, the world puts. Uh, Great value uh, on, uh, on material things, material wealth. Uh, the way of the world is to put value on uh, uh, and, 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 and to gauge uh, the value of our lives on uh, the money, the amount of money that we have, the possessions that we have, uh, the different sense pleasures. Sometimes we call those the pleasures of the world, the things that money can buy. and uh, the the predominant values of the world uh, uh, are concerned with uh, acquisition of material things, of wealth, in uh, support of happiness. So the idea being that if we have these uh, material things, if we have money, uh, possessions, certain sense pleasures will Uh, will uh, know happiness in this life. Now, the teachings of the Buddha make it very clear that uh, there's nothing inherently wrong, or uh, there's nothing uh, essentially wrong with uh, material things and with money. Uh, In and of itself, there's nothing wrong with these things. But, but there's always a but, but these things are highly conducive to craving, they're highly clingable. So, uh, you know, when we when we seek after uh, external wealth, if it's uh, in terms of making money or acquiring material possessions, uh, that looking for happiness in those things is highly conducive highly highly conducive to craving and to clinging so it's very hard you know it's very hard uh, to uh, to place value on uh, on material wealth and not to cling very hard very hard to do Uh, so uh, the looking for happiness in material things in material wealth uh, is going to conduce to craving and uh, and lead to suffering, which means that the heart becomes blocked off. The heart becomes blocked off. So when we place great value on external wealth, uh, the heart becomes blocked off. The heart becomes blocked off, our actions are informed by aversion and desire. So uh, what the Buddha said was that uh, the, the seeking after happiness in the things of the world, in material things, uh, will be highly conducive to greed, highly conducive to greed, uh, and he said that greed is the cause of, of most of the suffering in the world, it pits people against each other, he said it's the cause of hatred and violence and war uh, in the world so uh so these are you know these are things for us to to think about uh, uh, you know, the buddha uh, himself he looked at the world and this is what he saw he looked at the world and he saw people uh, in opposition to one another uh, pitted against one another uh, fighting over limited resources like he said like uh, fish in a little puddle fighting for the last little bits of water and then of course what he did is he looked in himself and he said I see this in myself I see this in myself I see my own greed because that's what we're asked to do of course is look within ourselves and see this within ourselves so the Buddha of course was somebody who had a lot of material wealth he was a prince and uh, uh, he had all the different pleasures of the world that were available to him in his day and uh, and he decided to Try to find another way of living. To try to find another way of living, he tried. To, he decided to uh, follow a spiritual path that he wanted to follow. A spiritual path, uh, not a material path, but a spiritual path. The path of the Dharma is a spiritual path. Uh, he tried various paths that were available to him in his time. Uh, he found that they didn't really uh, lead him to the kind of happiness. Uh, that uh, that uh, that uh, he thought he, as a human being, he uh, could find. Uh, uh, they didn't, uh, to the extent that I mean, the paths that he tried to follow were about eliminating uh, all forms of of sensual pleasure, and uh, and. Uh, the idea being that you know, those are the cause, the bane of our uh, existence, uh, and he found that just eliminating all forms of sense experience, sensual pleasure, material wealth, uh, didn't work because the mind still had greed in it, and that he realized that as human beings we need a certain degree of pleasure. Uh, he understood that the external pleasures of the world Conduce to craving, uh, so following and looking for you know finding pleasure in those things wasn't going to serve him. But what he realized was there was an internal pleasure uh, that 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 was that's what solved the problem for him was that he could find this internal pleasure. So he could still have pleasure, he could still have ease. This is a, a very important part of this message, you know, because invariably if I give a talk like this about uh, the pitfalls and the dangers uh, of external pleasure uh, and material things, uh, we all kind of like, well, I'm not giving up my iPhone, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, well, the Buddha says, you don't have to, you know, you might want to think about it as more of a, as a trade. You're giving up uh, one kind of pleasure for a greater pleasure. So it's not like you have to give up pleasure It's not like you have to give up pleasure. That was the linchpin that the Buddha came to understand. You don't have to give up pleasure. You're just trading an external pleasure, the pleasure that comes from material things, for an internal pleasure. Uh, That takes time to develop, but uh, that's so integral to this path. so integral to this path. It's one of the things I really... You know, I kind of wanted to draw out more in my book on skillful pleasure, uh, you know, because I think it's such an important factor in, uh, in addressing, you know, uh, or in, in thinking about how we might address some of the challenges that we see in the world, uh, you know, because, because human beings, by their nature, are going to seek pleasure, you know, the unskillful uh, pursuit of pleasure. Leads to greed and hatred, and all of these terrible things that we see. Uh, But there's there's a middle path where we can find pleasure in, in inside, inside. So it's such an important element of this aspect of the teaching. So uh, and and uh, this uh, this internal pleasure. is part of our uh, inner wealth, inner wealth. So the the Buddha offers us, the teachings of the Buddha, the Dharma offers us another path, another way of living, uh, uh, a way of living in which we, we, we seek to subscribe to a different set of values, a different set of values. Uh, so as you know, the Thayajans would say, I mean, this is a very basic, uh, teaching and uh, you know on this path, you know we learn to trade external wealth for inner wealth, for inner wealth. Our task as dharma, as followers of the Dharma, is to cultivate inner wealth. It has to be cultivated, right? It has to be cultivated. Uh, it's, you know we have this incredible capacity for inner wealth. You know that's the thing. We have this incredible capacity within us for inner wealth. It's already there, it just has to be cultivated. External wealth there's a lot of stuff that you have to go through, you know, uh, to get external wealth and because of our situation in life, you know, if it's the the class that we were born into or the race or the gender, it may be very difficult for us to, you know, the odds are against us in terms of cultivating uh, external wealth. uh, Internal wealth it's all right there you know it's all right there we have this capacity uh, the buddha spoke to this uh, and he said that uh he uses this beautiful metaphor of the the uh the rivers in the ocean he said just as whatever great rivers there are such as the ganges the yamuna the achirawati the Sarabu, and the Mahi on reaching the ocean give up their former names and is classed simply as ocean in the same way when members of the four castes, I mean the Buddha came from a society that was a caste society that had great uh, uh, division of class, that members in, when the members of the four cla- castes go forth from home to the homeless life in this Dhamma and Vinaya declared by the Tathagata, they give up their former names and clans and are classed simply as contemplators. This is the fourth amazing and astounding quality of this dhamma and vinaya, because of which, as they see it again and again, the monks take great joy. There's great joy in this equality, if you will, uh, uh, that uh, the, the dharma affords us in our capacity to develop inner wealth. You know, We have that capacity within us. Now of course, it has to be made accessible the means by which we can develop our inner wealth, right and that of course is an issue that uh, you know that we try to we try to address uh, uh, when we talk about this quality of inner wealth, uh, you know it's really it's really uh, it's really quite simple it, you know this we're talking about our goodness, right so uh, when we talk about our goodness, we're talking about our, our capacity for generosity, our capacity for non-greed. So as Dharma students, as followers of the Dharma, uh, instead of uh, uh, seeking to get uh, uh, and engaging in activities that conduce to greed, we uh, place value on uh, on giving, on generosity, and this is this is the you know the, the first and form of our uh, of our uh, of our inner wealth. So we place value on generosity. We place value in terms of developing inner wealth on practicing non-harming. Right. I mean these again are very countercultural qualities. You know these are the, these are the things that we emphasize: generosity, the practice of non-harming, the development of the paramis of generosity and ethical conduct and renunciation and truthfulness, patience, equanimity, effort and persistence. Our inner wealth, as I've already alluded to, our goodness is found in our meditation. You know, And these qualities of meditation that we develop so these qualities of ease, tranquility, of equanimity, of composure—you know—these are important elements of our goodness that we seek to develop in meditation and bring into the world. So you know, you want to be somebody who uh, uh, you know, has an effect on the world. Be somebody who practices generosity, practices non-harming, and. You know, we don't tend to think of this so much uh, you might have more some sense of it maybe within a family structure or a structure of friendship but be somebody who uh, brings these qualities of ease tranquility composure into the world and the world's a very frenetic place with a lot of agitation and people yelling and screaming at each other and you know, all kinds of histrionics, and people are very agitated. It's a very agitated place. It's a very agitated place. Yeah. So, you know, we learn to bring these qualities of tranquility and composure. We develop, this is our inner wealth. This is our inner wealth. The seeking after external wealth creates tremendous agitation. You know? In developing our inner wealth, we're cultivating these qualities of ease, tranquility, and equanimity. So there's generosity, non-harming, parami, meditation, ease, tranquility, equanimity, wisdom, compassion, loving kindness. You know, this is our inner wealth. You know, our loving kindness, our metta, that we're cultivating. Of course. Uh, you know, becomes truly uh, an expression of our inner wealth when it's loving-kindness for all beings, right? You know, loving-kindness isn't really loving-kindness unless it's loving-kindness for all beings, you know, which is, again, very countercultural. you know? You know, I love these people and the rest, you know, I'm sort of indifferent to and then there's a lot of people I hate, cultivating our inner wealth where we're cultivating loving kindness for all beings all beings without exception a limitless heart a limitless heart think about if everybody did this right I always say if everybody did like one of these things what a different world it would be so as followers of the Dharma we cultivate inner wealth, inner wealth, that's our focus, you know, so there's, you know, so there's, uh, you know, there's a very purposeful understanding of there being uh, a choice or a dichotomy here, you know, I can cultivate external wealth, or I can cultivate internal wealth. I mean, it's not an either or, but but it's always a choice, right. And it's like, what kind of person are you going to be? You know. uh, know, What's 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 really important, you know? What's our priority? So the teachings of the Buddha would suggest that we find happiness in this life in cultivating inner wealth, in cultivating it and then expressing it in the world, expressing our goodness in the world. It's not enough just to cultivate it, but we have to express it in the world. So the Dharma is a way of living, you know, it's a way of living uh, in which we cultivate inner wealth and express it in the world. As followers of the Dharma, this is our priority. So the Dharma is not just about solving problems, solving our problems, that's part of it. It's not only about alleviating our pain and suffering, that's part of it, but Ultimately, it's a way of living in which we cultivate inner wealth and express our goodness in the world. So, you know, so the questions would be, you know, the reflections that we might take. You know, these are reflections, you know, where if we are following this path that we have to kind of ask ourselves on a regular basis, you know, these are questions that I try to ask myself on a regular basis. You know, how do I perceive myself as a follower of the Dharma or as a Dharma student? What does that mean to me? You know, are these just some strategies that I can follow so that I can get through my day? Or is this a way of of living? You know, what's my commitment to this way of living? To living in this way? To living in a way in which my, my, uh, my priority is... Uh, my inner wealth and expressing my inner wealth in the world, my generosity and my, my virtue and uh, non-harming and my parami and ease and tranquility and equanimity and compassion and loving-kindness. You know, what's our commitment to this way of living? piece that I'll I'll, I'll talk about here and then we can talk a little bit about our practice is uh, do we carry this message with us do we carry this message with us into the world or how can we carry this message with us I mean this speaks to a greater question if you will or another way of kind of looking at this is how can we do something about the way things are in the world how can we help to bring about change in the world uh, you know, the world i don't have to tell it tell you well the world has a lot of problems and there's a tremendous amount of suffering in the world uh, in this country where i'm sitting now profound profound problems and difficulties Uh, what I have come to understand uh and what I believe I mean believe is kind of a funny word uh you know is that the Dharma as a way of living offers a way out for human beings a way of solving the problems of the world, you know, know, we're talking about a spiritual solution, you know, the Dharma really offers a spiritual solution. I mean, this is sort of my own, uh, bias, if you will, Uh, you know, probably was the Buddha's bias too, is that, you know, the way out of our difficulties is, is, you know, is by finding a spiritual solution. So the Dharma is a spiritual path. It's a spiritual path that we seek to bring about change in ourselves by following a spiritual path. We seek to bring about change in the world uh, by helping others to follow a more spiritual path in the world. Spiritual way of living. So how can we contribute to that? Uh, you know, it begins with our own spiritual healing, right? I mean, we have to learn to cultivate our goodness. Uh, we have to do the work of cultivation that we do in meditation, that we do in uh, developing our parami. You know, we can't give what we don't have, right? You know? uh, so we have to begin with our own spiritual healing. And then, you know, we have to be an example. We have to be a model of somebody who is following this kind of way of living, right? You know, and perhaps that's how we we bring about change the most is the way we live, the way we live, the choices that we make about what we do in terms of the way that we live. You know, and and I know like a lot of these questions are really personal, you know. Uh, but how how are we living? What's the way that we live? What what's the way that we're living? Are we living in a way that, you know, we're seeking to, uh, we're seeking to uh, cultivate our inner wealth and, and pass on that message and be a model of that? You know, we're following that spiritual design. You know, and, you know, it may be easy to say, or it may, be, it may be, we could say, well, it's easy for you to say you're a meditation teacher you know you know but and, and that's really true but you know it's like every day i have to make decisions about what i'm going to teach and how i'm going to teach you know you know and, and, and you know and i can make decisions based on well i can i'm going to teach this because it's going to make me more money or give me more notoriety you know or i'm going to live in a certain way you know that uh, you know uh, i mean i had to make decisions all along the way about how I want it to live, uh, you know, you know, well, maybe I'll teach the Dharma, but I'll also, you know, I'll also get a job doing this that, or the other thing, you know? So, uh, we all have to kind of make these decisions about how we live because that's how the world is going to change, <laughs> you know, it's going to change. It's like, we have to live in a certain way and be a model of that for that. I mean, I think one way that we can uh, pass on this message is by supporting the Dharma. You know, the Dharma is a, you know, it's a culture of generosity, you know. Since the time of the Buddha, you know, lay people have supported the Dharma, you know, and have supported these teachings. You have to be careful about, you know, who you're supporting and what you're supporting. But, you know, if it wasn't for people like, you know the lay person Ananadapintika, who started the first Buddhist monastery and supported the first Buddhist monks and nuns. You know the, the path never would have uh, continued on for, for for centuries. So there's many ways of supporting the Dharma. You know, you know, if these teachings and this way of life is important to you, then then support it. Find ways to support it. It doesn't have to be. I mean, Anadapindika was a merchant, a wealthy merchant. He had a lot of bucks. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. There's other ways that we can support the Dharma, the way that we can support the teachings of of non harming and generosity and uh, tranquility and composure and wisdom and non greed. You know, we try to pass on the message of having a life based on the cultivation, uh, and expression of inner wealth and goodness. It doesn't have to be a Buddhist message. You, know, you don't have to identify as a Buddhist and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm passing on Buddhist principles. They're not about, it's not about Buddhism. It's about how we live and what's important to us in this life. I mean, I, you know, I mean, you know, probably the people who have the biggest responsibilities for this, I don't want to put any undue pressure, so you've got enough pressure already as parents. It's like, what are you going to teach your children, you know? You know, I mean, I talked about this on retreat, you know, that the, the principles that I really learned in terms of generosity and living a life of generosity and helping others, I learned from my mother, you know? you know, who was a schoolteacher, you know, and said, do good in the world, try to help other people. You know, she wasn't that concerned with me making a lot of money. Damn her. No. Uh, you You know, she passed on those principles to me, not so much in what she said, but in how she, how she lived, you know, how she lived and what was important to her. I haven't, I haven't taught meditation to kids in a long time, but when I, I, I took, for many years I did. Uh, there might even be a few people here who taught some of those classes in, in downtown meditation community. We had uh, a bunch of the folks in the group would go into some of the schools, mostly in the East Village, some high school, there was a high school we went into, and some other schools, and you know, when I would teach the kids, you know, you know and I would teach second graders, third graders. Yeah, I teach them meditation, but you know, it's like you know, pretty hard for them to sit still for more than a few minutes, you know. But but what I really you know try to make an em- emphasize with them is teaching them the values that we're talking about, teaching them about generosity and non-harming, and and kindness and love and compassion. You know, kids get that right away. You know, kids understand that truthfulness. You know, uh, you know sometimes between being a kid you know, and being an adolescent and adult, you know, we lose a lot of that, right? So, but there's all different ways and all levels of the culture, where we can, you know, carry the message of, of generosity and non harming and the cultivation of inner wealth, as opposed to the cultivation of external wealth, because that's kind of what this is talk is about in terms of being food for thought. But it's so central, you know, to, to, to what the Buddha taught, right? But for a variety of reasons, it kind of gets, you know, it's it's it's, you know, it's it's like the baby literally getting thrown out, you know, and, and the bathwater being left behind, you know. But it's it's like can be a very tender subject to kind of talk about, you know, and, and you know, in a highly materialistic culture that we live in, particularly particularly in America where it's, you know, it's like off the charts, right? Yeah. So, you know, this is what it means to, to be a Buddha. To be a Buddha, as we used to say years ago, don't, don't worry about being a Buddhist. be a Buddha. Be a Buddha. I mean, I mean these—you know—it's—it's it's hard to live in a countercultural way. Believe me, as somebody who's done that for several decades, I, I can—I can attest to that. You know, but there's a great joy in it. There's a great happiness in it. You know, there's a great happiness in it. You know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, so the Buddha's uh, path is an invitation to 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 a life well lived. You know to a life of meaning, to a life of value, to a life that can, uh, that can, uh, bring us a happiness of heart, you know, in which we can, you know, be in this world and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, and make a difference and and, and find great joy in that effort, you know, and if, and if we can't, at least we're making the effort, right? You know, we're, we're making the effort, we're trying. So, uh, so, I thank you guys for your time. Uh, we'll end there and uh, maybe just close our eyes just for a second.